That song does not get old. It's fun. Hey, glad to be here this morning. Uh, shout out to those of you wearing your tie-dye. You look good. There, there we go. It does kind of look like laundry day at Trinity a little bit, but it's fun. It's fun. Uh, and hey, I've enjoyed this series, Can You Dig It? Uh, I've learned stuff, and I thought I knew everything, so there you go. Uh, but uh, I'm glad to be able to uh, play a little part in it again this morning. I am a little sad, though, because summer is on the way down. I mean, you could see the end of summer from here. It's, on, it's, a, it's a little ways away. It's on the horizon. Yeah, everybody's covering their ears. I know, it's true. But, uh, but I feel this burning urge to make the most of the summer that we have left. You know, we got to capitalize on things. So we'll do it together. And uh, summer is such a, just a unwind time, relax time. Hopefully you've been able to do that. Travel, maybe, whatever it is you do to relax. But, uh, you know, as a kid, we used to travel a lot in the summer when you always go to, uh, we'd always go to visit grandma's house. And going to visit grandma's house, let's be frank, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Because uh, grandma is great. Going to grandma's can be fun. I mean, she's let you stay up late. She's making your favorite foods. It's great. But, uh, but it's also a little bit of a mixed bag because, you know, grandma, she doesn't ever use that guest room anymore. And so when you go in there and you get in that guest bed, it's, it's not always that clean, right? And in one of the grandmas I had, who shall remain nameless, uh, there was this guest bedroom that, I mean, never got used. The only time it ever got used is when we, we came to visit. And so the door just stayed closed all the time, right? Unless we were coming over. So that meant when you got there and you opened that door and you threw your suitcase up on the bed, then poof, this big cloud of dust would be kicked up and you'd be coughing and sneezing and your allergies would be all aggravated. It kind of ruined the whole, uh, whole trip to grandma's house. It made everything just a little bit less enjoyable. And you, you know, you can't say anything to grandma. I mean, she's over there in the kitchen right now making your favorite foods. So you you, you got you to find another way to deal with this situation. So there's a little bit of a tension. You know there's going to be dust on this bed. And, and you don't want to stir it up. You don't want to create all that problem. And so uh, you got to kind of find some way to get into that bed without stirring up all that dust. And so, you know, you can't just jump in. That'll kick all the dust up. And, and you gotta, you got to just creep in slowly. You know, you don't want to breathe too heavily. You just kind of want to slide in and sort of roll. And if you manage to do it just right, then you've, you're there and you're in the bed and you haven't stirred up all the dust. But you know what? You still got a problem. You're still laying in a bed full of dust. You're not fooling anybody. You got, you got problems. And no matter how carefully you slide in, you're still laying right there, dust everywhere. And you got to deal with it. Uh, so just because you didn't kick it up and create all the problems that go along with that, you still got a problem. Well, uh, that's the tension. How do, you, how do you manage it? Do you just jump in and go for it and deal with that? Or do you try to sneak in and maybe pretend that nothing's going wrong? Well, you know, this is the same way that we try to deal with sin. We think about sin in your life like dust. There's a, a fine layer of dust all over your life. Even if you can't see it right now, it's there. There's areas of your life that just like grandma, you shut the door to and you want to just not worry about anymore. And whether you come face-to-face with those things sometime, like kicking up a big cloud of dust, or whether you try to just sneak around and pretend that, that nothing is going on, guess what? There's still a fine layer of dust all over your life. You haven't solved the problem. You're just trying to manage 
the symptoms. Well, that's how we try to deal with sin. Something happens. Something happens to reveal that sin in our lives, and we either blow up and make a huge deal out of it, or we try to just sneak back into normal life and pretend that everything is fine, expect that things are just going to disappear. But either way you deal with it, there it is, that fine layer of dust all over your life. That sin is still there. So you can, you can blow up, you can blame your parents or blame your, your job or your circumstances or your spouse and throw dust all over the place. Or you could just hope that nobody notices. Hope that nobody noticed that little lie you told or that, that second glance that you took or that corner you cut when nobody was looking. But in your heart, you know it's all there. It's all there. That little dust is all there. So no matter how hard you work to pass the blame off to other people or to pretend that there's really no problem at all, there's still a problem. And it's a problem that we can't deal with very easily. I mean, we could go a long time thinking that we got everything under control. But we're only fooling ourselves. Because you lay down in that bed you've made for yourself. Maybe you think you, everything is fine. But then there's evidence of that sin in your life. You know, every time we'd go to grandma's, we'd wake up and we'd have little bug bites all over us, just itchy and rashy. That's evidence that the problem is still there, no matter how you try to deal with us. Well, each and every one of us, we can't escape that sin in our lives. No matter how carefully you get in that bed, you've still got signs, evidence of it all over you. And you know, it shows up in a lot of ways, right? I mean, maybe for you, it's food. You know you, you know, you shouldn't eat so much when you're stressed or depressed, but you just feel like you can't help it. And, and if all you ever do is deal with the food, you never get to the heart of the issue, and you're always going to have a problem. Or maybe for you, it's not food, it's something different, like your, your, your phone. You're always on Facebook or Instagram or Candy Crush, whatever it is. Well, if all you ever do is deal with the symptoms, but you don't get to the heart of the issue, you're going to find yourself over and over again going to that problem. You'll still wake up with bug bites all over you. So there's got to be a better way. Right? There's got to be a better way to deal with sin. Because we want to focus on the, the dust, the part that, that shows our sin to the world. And we want to do everything we can to kind of save face, right? To, we don't want anybody to know that our lives are covered in dust. So we, we kick that dust off, we try to throw it onto other people, make it their problem and, and blame them and not ourselves. Or we try to just sneak along and pretend that everything's fine. But if all we ever do is deal with the dust... We haven't really solved the problem. We've got to kill the bugs. We've got to get to the heart of the problem, not just dealing with the symptoms. We've got to kill the real problem. Well, thankfully, God has given us a way to do that, to kill sin in our lives. Now, if you were here last week, you heard Josh Wheatley talk about salvation, about Jesus as the solution to our sin problem. And that's a different topic than what we're talking about this morning. I mean, yes, Jesus has paid the punishment of our sins. He's, he's justified us. He's made us right before God. If we put our faith in him and what he's done, we don't face the punishment of that sin anymore. But what we're talking about this morning is, is a little different doctrine, no less important. We're talking about sanctification. Sanctification. It's this process of becoming more and more holy, more and more like Jesus. And in salvation, like we talked about last week, we've been declared holy and righteous because we've aligned ourselves with Jesus. But, but that doesn't mean we're automatically righteous people. I mean, spoiler alert, you're not always a very nice person 
Neither am I. We got problems, you know. We got behaviors and thoughts and attitudes and actions that are really not in line with, with God. And, and it, it, we could try to shake those things off, or we could try to lay down and hope we don't awaken those things in ourselves. But either way, you're going to wake up with marks all over you, with evidence of that sin. So we got to find a way to kill the bugs, to kill that sin that's in us. Fortunately, God has something to say about it. He doesn't leave us in our sin. He gives us instructions for how to deal with sin. And specifically, he tells us how to kill sin in our lives. And there's a couple of times in the Bible that specifically talk about putting to death sin in our lives. In the old King James translation, they have a fancy word for it. If you're into fancy words, the King James calls it mortification. Mortification just means putting to death. So sometimes you'll hear people talk about mortifying sin, but we're just talking about killing sin, putting sin to death. That's what we're talking about, dealing with the root of the problem and not just with the symptoms. And, and there's a couple of places where the Bible specifically talks about putting sin to death. We're going to look at one of those places today. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. And while you're finding that, I'm going to just set the scene for us a little bit. The very beginning of Romans 8 starts with this word, therefore. And so it's, it's sort of a, a summary or a wrap-up of some of the things that have come before. And, and uh, Paul, the apostle who wrote Romans, he's been talking about what Jesus has done. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do. He, he, he given, he's given us new life through his death and his resurrection, and uh, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're free from the punishment of that sin, and, and that's what Paul's been talking about. But now we get to Romans 8, and our focus shifts just a bit. Now we're talking about sanctification, about this process of how we live once we've been saved. Once you've put your faith in Jesus, how do you deal with these recurring patterns of sin in our lives? And that's what Paul sets out to tell us here in Romans 8. And the passage we're going to look at, he says that the way to deal with this is to put sin to death. Put sin to death. That's the only way that we can deal once and for all with sin and not just dealing with the symptoms. So let's take a look. Romans 8, we're going to start in verse 12. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So see, Paul starts off talking about this, this obligation we have, this duty. And just to make it easier for us to understand and talk about, think of it like a job. All right? And just like your real job, you've got a boss. And Paul says, you don't have to let sin be your boss. He's, he says it's not an obligation to the flesh, in other words, to your sinful nature, but it's a different obligation. You've got a, a different job with a different boss now. And he goes on to tell us, you're not, you're not bound to work for the flesh. Our, our sinful nature is not the boss of us anymore. You could say you're under new management, right? 
And he says now in verse 13, he says, you could still try to do that job, that, that, that still work for that old boss, that old sinful nature. And even if you're a person who's put your faith in Jesus, you could still try to live that way, just giving in to sin and temptation all the time. But, but because you've been changed by Christ, you're no longer obligated to live that way. You're no longer a slave to sin. Now you can live in a different way. You're free to live in a different way. But if you still choose to live according to that sinful nature, letting that nature be your boss, telling you what to do, Paul tells you what will happen. You'll die. And the rest of the verse tells us a better way to live, a new boss that we should be working for. Look at the end of verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. See, this is the better boss, a better way to live, a better job, and it's living by the Spirit. That's the path to life. It's, it's how you put sin to death, not just dealing with the symptoms, but really getting to the root of the problem. Living by the Spirit, that's your new job. Your new boss is the Holy Spirit. And the more you give yourself to Him, following His lead in your life, then the more you could put sin to death in your life. That's how you put sin to death. You got one job, and it's living by the Spirit. So that's the big idea this morning. Your one job is to live by the Spirit. What does that mean? Before we talk about what that means, about how to do this one job of living by the Spirit, it's very important for us to clarify what it's not, what it's not, okay? Because there's a lot of different ways we try to put sin to death, a lot of other jobs we try to occupy ourselves with, but really only one job is going to be what kills sin in our lives. So we need to know, what does it mean to live by the Spirit? And as we answer that, we need to start with what it's not, and, and the best way to think about it is to use an analogy, okay? Think about hiking. Imagine you're hiking on a, on a narrow mountain ridge, okay? And on both sides of this ridge, there's danger. If you fall off this way, it's bad. You fall off this way, it's bad. And, and on one side, if you fall off this way, that's the, the danger of trying to do it on your own. Okay, You can't do this job of living by the Spirit on your own. You can't kill sin in your life on your own. That's one thing that it's not. You can't do it that way. That's one danger. On the other side of this narrow ridge, if you fall off the other way, that's the, the, the risk of just letting God do it all. Just, just you think you're surrendering to Him and you're letting Him do it, but really you're just kind of living passively. That's not, that's not living by the Spirit. You, you can't just do nothing and expect that God is going to do the work in your life. Living by the Spirit is you and God living together. You're walking on that narrow ridge. He's your, your trail guide. You're doing the living and He's doing the leading. That's how you do your one job. It's you and God working together. And now, this is good news because that means that as you do your job, God is helping you. God is, is himself is at work in you, helping you put sin to death. But it's also hard news because that means that you have to stay connected to God if you're going to do this job well. Your one job means you've got to live in a way that's connected to God's Spirit. So that's our focus. And as we focus on doing this job, fortunately, God has given us some tools uh, some really, really helpful tools in helping us do this job of living by the Spirit. And you know, if you're going to do your job well, you've got to have the right tools, right? I mean, think about uh, your physical life, physical fitness. You know, you can, 
go to the gym, you could get a membership to the Y, and they got all the tools there, you know, the, the Stairmaster and the stationary bikes, they got tools, you don't even know what those things are for, right? But, but if you don't use the tools, you're not going to get any fitter. You've got to make use of these tools, and God has given us some tools in helping us live by the Spirit. So let's talk <clears throat> about these tools that God has given us. The first tool is just remembering your identity. Remember who you are. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, right at the very beginning of this passage, Paul says there's basically two ways you can live. He says you can live according to your flesh, your old sinful nature, or you can live according to the Spirit. But then as he keeps talking, it turns out there's really only one way to live because the other way just leads to death. He says in verse 14, he says, if you're a child of God, just like we sang about this morning, if you're a child of God, then you're led by the Spirit of God. That's you and God on that narrow ridge together. That's really the only option left to you. You've got a new identity as a child of God. You're no longer bound to work for that old sinful nature. If you're a child of God, a person who's turned away from sin and turned towards God, then you only have one way to live, and that's living by the Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, then God's Spirit lives within you. So whatever living you do, God's Spirit is there. So there's only one way to live. It's living by the Spirit. That's your job. And as Paul goes on to talk about our identity, this, this first tool we have, uh, in verse 15 he says, This Spirit in us, it doesn't make us a slave, but it makes us a son. That's our new identity. We've been adopted into this new family, into God's family, with all the, the rights and the privileges that go along with that. And I say son, not son and daughter, because at the time that Paul wrote this, adoption was very, very common practice in the ancient Roman world. And very often people would adopt a son and then give that son full status in the family. He, was, uh, he would get the full inheritance. He had all the full rights to be able to represent the family, uh, full authority. And so, so there's an entirely new identity a person would get. And this new identity is one of the tools that God gives us. Uh, when my wife and I adopted our kids from China, they were Chinese citizens, Right? And uh, before they can leave the country, they have to get a passport. I mean, it's, it's kind of silly because they're only going to be in the country like four more days. But they've got to have a passport proving that they're Chinese citizens, right? So you go to the airport, show this passport, get on the plane. Well, as soon as the plane gets to America, they're American citizens. They've got a new identity now. So that little passport is just a souvenir. It, it, they've got a totally new identity. They're citizens of a new country. Their adoption gives them a new identity, and, and now they get to live like Americans, and, and they're no longer bound by the rules of their old country. The, well, the same is true for each and every one of us, right? We used to be slaves. That was our identity, slaves to our old sinful nature, working for that boss. But now, through Jesus, we've been adopted. We've been given new identities as children of God, and we're not bound to behave in that way anymore. We've got a new job with a new boss, uh, when we were in the process of adopting, I read a book. <clears throat> I'd recommend it to you. It's called Adopted for Life by a man named Russell Moore, and he's a writer and a pastor. He's originally from Mississippi. And he and his wife, they adopted two boys from Russia. And I want you to hear what he says about this new identity. I think it's really helpful. This is what he says. He says, As Maria and I went through the adoption process, we were encouraged by everyone, from social workers to family friends, to teach the children about their cultural heritage. We have done just that, he says. Now, what most people probably meant by this is for us to teach our boys Russian folk tales, Russian songs, observe Russian holidays, and so forth. 
But as we see it, that's not their heritage anymore, and we hardly want to signal to them that they're strangers and aliens, even welcome ones in our home. We teach them about their heritage, yes, but their heritage as Mississippians. They learn about the people before them in the civil rights movement. Yes, I'll read Dostoevsky and Tolstoy to them one day, I suppose, but not with the same intensity with which I'll read to them William Faulkner or Eudora Welty. They won't know an arrangement of Peter and the Wolf if they heard it, but they can recognize the voices of Charlie Pride and Hank Williams in seconds. When we sit at the table for our holiday meals, they don't eat borscht. They eat what we eat, red beans and rice, fried catfish, shrimp risotto. They share our lives and our story. They belong here. They're moors now with all that that entails. So this first tool that God has given us in doing our job is a new identity. It's a fundamental shift in who we are. And remembering who we are is such a critical tool in doing our job of living by the Spirit, remembering that we have a new identity. We're not uh, obligated to the old way anymore. We've been adopted into God's family. Well, that encourages us to listen to the Spirit at work in our lives. We're no longer bound to the old ways of living. Because of this new identity, we're obligated to follow God. And to live in this new identity means we become more and more like Christ. Just like an adopted child is immediately part of the family, but then has to grow and learn how to be in that family, we're the same way. We've been given this new identity, and now we go through the process of living into it. And so when when things get hard, when sin is revealed in our lives, instead of just giving in to it or or throwing our hands up and saying, I'll never be able to work through this issue in my life, then we pull out this tool. We remember who we are. We're children of God. The Spirit is at work in us, and we can get through this no matter how hard it is. This is our new job. We can put sin to death in our life because we have a new identity. Our dear brother Mark Smith used to sit down here. He's always so fond of saying God is good all the time and all the time God is good. He was reminding himself of God's identity and then his own identity. Did Mark wake up every morning and look at the, take stock of his life and say, yeah, things are great, this is great? No, no, but he reminded himself of his identity because he wanted to let what he know about himself trump how he felt, Right? Well, that's how it is. That's why this tool is effective. You've got to remember who you are because it lets what you know trump how you feel. You remember your identity as a child of God. And right here at the end of Romans 8, Paul tells us how powerful it is that we have this new identity. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no going back to that old identity. So when you find yourself falling over and over into these same sin patterns, you can throw up your hands, or you can throw in the towel, or you can pull out this tool and remember who you are and let what you know trump how you feel. You can remember that God is good, and God has adopted you into his family, and God's Spirit is leading you down that narrow path, doing your job, putting sin to death, living by the Spirit. There's another tool we have in doing our job, and that's the Bible. 
You know, we started this whole sermon series, this whole series on different doctrinal topics by talking about the Bible. That was not by accident. That's a very intentional choice. Why would we start there? It's very simple because the Bible is the primary way that we know God. The Bible is God's chosen means for revealing himself to the world. So if God decides that the Bible was going to be the, the primary way he speaks to the world today, then it makes sense that we would want to use it in doing our job of living by the Spirit. And so how do we do that? How do we make use, really, of this tool, the Bible, as we try to do this job? And, and the first thing we need to do is we need to recognize it for what it is. If the Bible is indeed a book from God, then we've got to recognize that it has certain authority. You know, living by the Spirit means we're really connecting ourselves to God. And God's primary way to communicate to us is through His Word. And now I'm not saying that God can't speak to us in other ways. Certainly God has used a variety of means to to communicate to me over the years, to to get my attention or encourage me, guide me in decision-making. But but far and away, the, the primary way God speaks to us is through the Bible. And so we need to recognize it for what it is. It's the words of God. And that means when we come face-to-face with sin in our lives, we have a source of authority. It's something we could turn to that helps us understand, what does God think about this? What can I do about this? God uses it to help us open our eyes to the sin in our lives, things we maybe didn't even realize we were doing or things we knew we were doing but we kept kind of justifying to ourselves or glossing over as no big deal, things we maybe thought we had under control and then we realized, no, we really, really don't. Uh, several years ago, we bought a, a house that uh, the previous owner had a cat. Can't say I'd recommend that. But um, our dog kept wanting to mark his territory on the carpet. Very, very frustrating. And we thought, okay, he must be smelling this cat who used to live here. So we, we steamed the carpet several times, and we had this, like, odor-neutralizing stuff we treated it with. And, and no matter what, the dog would kept going and doing his thing on the carpet, you know, and... Uh, well, one day I ordered a black light for work. I needed it for work. And I thought, hey, before I take it to work, the kids would have some fun playing with this. You know, black lights are fun. So we, you know, gathered the kids around in the living room there and turned it on. And I wish I could fully describe to you the horrific scene that emerged as this black light was turned on the carpet. Okay, it was like something out of CSI New York. I mean, there was just animal residue everywhere. And we were like, well, no wonder the dog keeps, I mean, this is like just horrific, this whole like story of cat versus dog played out in urine form. It was, it was awful, you know. We'd been spending all our time trying to treat the symptoms we could see. Well, suddenly we saw things in a new light and now we could really attack the problem. Well, that's the same way it is when you really use God's Word, when you meditate and and memorize God's Word, it brings things to light in your life so that you can really deal with the root of the problem. That's living by the Spirit. Putting yourself face-to-face with with God's Word allows the Spirit to really speak to you, to be at work in your life, revealing things, sometimes things that aren't pretty, but revealing things to you so that you can do your job of living by the Spirit. You know, the other alternative, if you don't use the Bible, is, is what? Just trusting your own instincts, trusting your own feelings? Well, the problem with that is sin feels pretty good. I mean, if it didn't feel good, 
you wouldn't do it. So trusting your own feelings is not the pathway towards really killing the problem. You've got to have an external source of wisdom and truth. And certainly the Bible is the ultimate source of truth and the ultimate source of wisdom. And one of the best ways that I know of to really engage the Bible in this job of living by the Spirit is to memorize or just to meditate deeply on Scripture. When you take the time to do that, to really think deeply or to take the time to memorize Scripture, then you're allowing the Spirit to really work in your life. You're doing that job of living by the Spirit, allowing God's truth to just, just permeate, to penetrate deep within you. Think of it like watering your yard. Right? If you just water for five minutes... You, there's no way your grass is going to survive the summer heat. You've got to water it long enough to get that all the way down into the roots, you know. And the deeper you go, the, the grass grows healthier and healthier roots. It's the same way as you use God's Word. Uh, use God's Word. You, you, can, you can use it just for information. You can read the Bible for information. But if you want to read it for transformation, you've got to give it some time. You've got to give yourself time to meditate deeply, to think about what you're reading and what it means. And, and uh, the best way I know to do that is memorization. It's just a great way to do that. It helps you think over and over and over about what you read. And, and Paul the Apostle, he says it this way, right here in Romans 8, uh, verse 5. He says, those who live according to the sinful nature, they have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So see, if you set your mind on what the Spirit desires, that's doing your job, living by the Spirit. And Scripture memory is a great way to do this, right? And think about this, with any kind of habit, you can't just stop doing something without replacing it with something new. Otherwise, you're not going to change the habit. That's how habits work. You've got to have that new thing to go in there. Well, Scripture memory can become that new thing. It gives your mind something new to focus on. So instead of all those same destructive self-talk, negative patterns, you pull those out and you put something new in your mind, something new for you to meditate on. And the Bible is a tool in helping you do your job. And in your worship folder, I've given you a great way to get started with Scripture memory. I've given you this little card. You can carry it around with you, put it in your car, whatever, and just help you keep Scripture in front of you. And as you meditate on it, this is a verse we just read, Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So this verse will help you recognize why scripture meditation, scripture memory is so important, and also help you remember that job of just living by the Spirit. And a little bonus, it also kind of reinforces your real identity as a person who's attached to God's Spirit, not attached to the sinful nature. And so, uh, kind of a three-in-one. And, and this is uh, just a, a verse, easy verse to memorize, just a way that you can start engaging God's Word, filling your mind with this instead of with sin, getting to the root of the problem. Uh, one more thing I want to say about engaging God's Word as a tool in doing your job. This, this passage we looked at in Romans 8, it tells us right in the passage how important Scripture meditation, Scripture memory is. Look at, uh, at verse 16. Uh, the Spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. Now, I think the best translation of this verse is that the Spirit testifies to our spirit, not with our spirit. I won't bog you down as to why that is, but, but here's the point. Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us in doing our job, our one job of living by the Spirit. And, and 
the Holy Spirit is helping us. He's testifying to us. What does that mean? It means that he's bringing things to our mind, bringing things to our attention, like Scripture that we've put, committed to memory. He encourages us by reminding us of the truth about our identity, that first tool we have, the truth about Scripture. The Holy Spirit works to help us do our job, to help us by using that tool of bringing God's words into our minds. It's not always something you can easily explain or pinpoint, but when it happens, you know that's me and God walking that narrow ridge together. God's testifying to your spirit, using his word to help you do your one job. So these are two tools that we have in doing our job, living by the spirit, and that is the path to life, the path to putting sin to death, to becoming more and more like Jesus. Remembering your identity is so crucial. You don't have to work for your sin nature anymore. He's not your boss. Just imagine what your life could be like if you could really live fully into your new job, your new identity. You kick that old boss to the curb and you start living in this new identity. Imagine if all those thoughts that go through your mind in the course of a day, all those defeating patterns are gone. And instead of running that through your mind, you've got God's word renewing you and running that through your mind. It's encouraging promises from God to keep you focused. Well, Using these tools is going to give you life in the Spirit. That's how you kill sin. You put it to death once and for all, not just kicking up dust and try to deal with the symptoms. So let's use these tools. Let's commit to put sin to death in our lives, uh, not working for the same old boss, dealing once and for all with the real heart of the matter. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you have uh, given us you. You've given us your spirit, and you've given us your word as a tool in uh, reminding us about our identity and helping us to live by your spirit. And pray that you would encourage us as we commit ourselves to following you, to becoming more and more like your son. He's the ultimate child of God, and we want to be like him. We want to be modeling ourselves after him. And that means we have to be about this process of living by the spirit, of putting sin to death. Pray that you would just continue to equip us and encourage us in this through your word and through the truth about the identity we have. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.